Welcome to the Pursuing Faith Podcast, where we explore questions of faith, doubt, and life. I am your host, Dominic Doan. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Pursuing Faith. Um, I just got in last night from the West Coast, had an incredible trip. Uh, started out in the Portland, Oregon area. I got to partner and collaborate with George Fox University for an apologetics conference. We were joined by Mary Jo Sharp, uh, Fuzz Rana from Reasons to Believe, Greg Gansel was there, Talbot School of Theology. It was an awesome time. Uh, many of you have asked if the sessions were recorded, and they were, so stay tuned for that. I believe they're going to be put up on YouTube. And then I went downtown Portland and uh, got to speak at the Reedwood Forum, which was also an incredible time, then hopped in a rental car and drove to Northern California and had the opportunity to spend a couple days with the staff of a church called Bayside. Got back on the plane and uh, now I'm back here in Colorado and looking forward to some events that we have coming up. Here's one of them. Uh, in just a few weeks time, I'll be back in Mexico. I'll be there for about five days uh, at the mission in Carmen Sedan. Uh, it's an orphanage. It's also a Bible college too. And I'll be down there speaking probably four or five hours a day. So pray for the Bible college students um, as we cover a lot of details about faith and doubt and apologetics. So that is coming up. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support, which actually makes these trips possible. And uh, yeah, just thank you for being a faithful listener to this podcast. I really hope you enjoy this episode. In fact, I know you will. Uh, for many of you, Evan Wickham is a familiar name. Uh, Evan is the lead pastor of a church called Park Hill in San Diego, California, an incredible church. Uh, he was the worship pastor of a Jesus church when we lived up there. Uh, and these were some of the favorite years I had working for a Jesus church. Uh, Evan's the worship pastor, a gifted, insanely gifted worship leader, um, and he and I would meet almost every week, and we would go for a walk, usually started out around the church property, and then we'd inevitably end up at a coffee shop. We'd talk life, theology, apologetics, philosophy, education, books, more books. I mean, our conversations were awesome, and we'd spend an hour or so talking, and this episode is going to feel like one of Evan and I's meetings. You're going to feel like you're kind of eavesdropping on a conversation. We we kind of catch up. We talk about uh, theology and church life. Uh, and then we begin to kind of lay a foundation biblically for what worship is all about. And in the second half, oh my goodness, I love the second half of this episode because Evan just takes us places um, when it comes to worship that just, it, it absolutely blew my mind. Uh, some of the insights that he gave, uh, I'd never actually processed before or thought through before. You're going to love it. And then what we do at the very, very end is I play a, a song that Evan and Calvin now wrote. It's called Fullness. If you haven't heard it, stick around for that. It's probably my all-time favorite worship song. You, you know those songs where you just need to get your eyes on the Lord or you're having a rough day or whatever and you're driving and you reach for that song because you know it's instantly going to put your heart in a good spot. That is this song for me. It's 
beautiful. Um, so that's at the very end of the podcast. And then also one thing to note is that Evan, he's going to talk a little bit about a prayer journal, and we've included a link so that you can download a free digital version of that. So if you go down in the, in the show notes, you'll see a link, click on that, and you can have this digital prayer journal. Well, I hope and pray that this edifies and builds up your soul as it did mine. Here's Evan Wickham. Hey everyone, well I'm here with Evan Wickham. Man, first of all, it is so good to see you. And for for most of our listeners, um, you need no introduction. Um, You and your family, your five kids, your tribe, Mm -hmm. you lived up in Portland and we had the honor of getting to work together, or I should say I had the honor of working with you. It was such an epic season. No, you had it it right. It was an honor working with you. Man, it was so fun. Um, Four years up at Westside. And then I can't believe it's been five years uh, since you've planted Park Hill Church in San yeah. Diego. For those of you who don't know Evan, he's a songwriter, incredible Bible teacher, has a Master's of Divinity from Western. So I guess, yeah, let's just start. How are you? How are things oh, going? Absolutely love the beard. <laughs> yeah, doing well, Dom. Thanks so much for uh, just inviting me on. I've been listening along to your podcast. Just such a thoughtful. Oh, you've always been thoughtful. I, I remember, you know, listening to your podcast reminds me of our <laughs> our Tuesday yes. walks, our Tuesday That's walks right. from from the office at the church in Portland, and we'd end up at Lionheart Coffee on That's whatever right. street, whatever street that was, Shoals Ferry Road. That's right. And and just sit and just catch up and. And just asking all the questions that are most meaningful and praying together. And yeah, so it's, it feels, this feels very warm. <laughs> Being back with you right now feels like, oh, all the right, all the right feelings. So, um, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh gosh. I love those talks too. Cause I, I just always remember how you always had the most amazing thoughts and questions and insights and, um, working with you is like this constant um, stirring in my heart of like uh, n- ideas theologically and how do we incorporate that in the gathering and um, your thoughts on churches, ec- ecclesiology, church planting, all of that. And it was it was, <laughs> it was a beautiful season. I was I was I was more naive than I realized. Oh gosh! <laughs> like I'm I, yeah, my thoughts were often untethered to any sense of like what it actually means to lead. <laughs> at the time, like you're, you're like, you know, I'm like, I don't know if the church is getting this right or that right. I think we could do better. And, and you're like, <laughs> how <laughs> having, having, you're like, you're like having planted multiple churches, uh, mission field in, you know, majority world island nations. And I'm like this worship leader at a mega church. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and, and so you're looking back after five years of the really hard work of leading mm-hmm. a church plant into, a health, hopefully what I, what I see by all accounts is like a healthy church. Um, I'm just like, what was I talking about? <laughs> Isn't that how life is though? It just feels like the older you get, the more you're like, I don't have a clue anymore. <laughs> right? It's like you start yeah. out, you're idealistic and you have all these thoughts and, and then, uh, idealistic. That's the word. Parenting's that way, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think leading yeah. a church is kind of that way too. Like you have the birth of a church and, Kind of goes through its infancy stages and then its adolescent stages. So you're five years in now, mm-hmm. and I'm 
I'm so curious. Um, yeah, how are things going planting a church? Like, what what are the, some of the greatest joys and challenges of church yeah. planting, especially in the, these last five years, which has been uh, for all pastors and anyone in ministry a very interesting season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just to set up the my response, I just got off a Zoom call this morning with a pastor in England, mm-hmm. whose church he he and his wife had to fold it up, close it up. Um, just the, the, the pressures of COVID and coming out of COVID for his church, they were very great. And the relational tension within the church and the opinions on how things should have been done. He's like, you know what? This has become so in, in so many ways, the, the unhealth of this church has taken center stage so much so that we have to actually call it. And, and so he closed closed the doors of his church, and the he- the healthy folks in his church like cheered him on, raised money to give them a severance as they left as their pastors, and it was a beautiful end and a very bittersweet ending. Uh, and I'm just like, man, I hmm. I'm so great I'm so grateful a for pastors that have the bravery mm-hmm. to walk through the difficult deaths that have taken place like you i mean i mean dom your transition was was incredibly beautiful and brave and following jesus into a whole new era of your life and it's been wonderful to watch you just bravely step forward following Mm -hmm. jesus with your family and for us yeah i mean it was two years of exciting church planting (laughs) in 2018 2019 and and we had like this vision for 2020 that was we didn't go as far as to make 2020 vision our word of the year right. <laughs> like <laughs> which but, backfired but, on literally anyone who did yes but we basically did like we started first corinthians in january of 2020 and uh, you know it's not about tribes it's not about celebrity it's about unity like i was pr- i felt like i was on my a game like i hit my stride <laughs> like we're starting our third year as a church. We just crossed our two-year birthday, and there's people coming, saying yes to their calling in the kingdom in our church. And then everything got hijacked. Only now am I realizing, or did it get hijacked? Hmm. Wow. Okay. Like that's huge because most pastors I talk to, even now, uh, a couple years after the pandemic, I guess it's almost been three years since it started, which is crazy. They would just say hijacked and leave it there. Like, <laughs> look yeah. back at the last few years, like it's been horrible and churches have shrunk by and large and yeah. budgets are down, et cetera, et cetera. But you're saying mm-hmm. it's actually been a good thing? Uh, well, God is, God is good. And I think of Psalm 73 that starts, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure of heart. And then the next line, <laughs> but as for me, mm. I don't know that I believe it anymore. My feet almost slipped. Yeah. Um, but the turning point of that psalm is, okay, I, I, I see the prosperity of the wicked. It's messing me up. My faith is shipwrecking. I'm deconstructing. I don't even know. I'll confess God is good at church, but I'll doubt he's good all the other times <laughs> um, until I entered the sanctuary and, and I chose to stay. Mm. And, until I settled on my choice to stay in the presence of God with the people of God. Until then, I, I was I was slipping, but when I made the choice to stay, I, I'm not I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a there's a perspective that comes from committing to stay with the people in the presence. So, 
So I, I've seen, even though we still, I don't think, I don't think we've reached our pre COVID numbers on Sunday mornings. Um, I don't think we're, we're finally this, this season post New Year's Eve 2023, like this month, we're seeing a lot of people, but it's still not quite mm. as many people, um, coming on a Sunday. However, Instead of 25% of our Sunday gathering being also in community groups, now it's more like 80% of our Sunday gathering is, is in community. That's awesome. And, and meeting in homes and praying around a shared meal. Mm. And the last six months, we've finally seen older, wiser, gray-headed saints coming to our church. Of which you're <laughs> becoming one. Yeah, I'm gray-headed. <laughs> I'm, I'm gray-chinned, gray-bearded. <laughs> But but for three years, you know, our early COVID growth was it, it was it was still immature. Hmm. It was it was exciting numbers, but it was a lot of immaturity, just expanding immaturity. And we have we have we've seen a growth in specifically in in maturity and in spiritual fathers and mothers and, and grandfathers and grandmothers really rising rising to the call to spiritually parent. The rest of our church. Mm -hmm. So our church is much more multi-generational now. Um, I think we, we don't have rose colored glasses about how hard it is to be a Christian today, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so when I say that, like 2020 hijacked our vision, like, sure, but did it really hijack the vision? And I just think like a a resounding no, like, um, I don't know what a winnowing fan is, but it's in the Gospels. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus has like a a threshing tool. I guess it's something farmers use to like separate the less meaningful stuff from the meaningful. And that's it's painful, but that's what yeah. hap- that's what seems to have happened everywhere. And and we've seen it in our church and it's strong. Oh, that's interesting. So the numbers may not be what it used to be yet. Correct. But you're finding a greater depth when it comes to community, when it comes to hunger for the word, for mission, for for worship. Yeah, it's just un. Um, yeah, that's undeniable. We're praising mm-hmm. God for the depth and and the maturity that has come, even maturity and generosity. You know. Yeah. I don't know the stories for all the churches, but um, our church shrunk in numbers but grew in mm-hmm. sacrificial giving as an act of resistance against a culture mm-hmm. of fear. And so mm-hmm. um, c- continuing to affirm our church, well done in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that cycle of generosity and, and affirmation for being generous has continued to mature our church. Uh, we're still wanting to see all kinds of growth in so many areas because, because we want to see <laughs> San Diego experience yeah. Jesus through the life of the church. Um, and one thing I have noticed that's less less um good i think is the way churches seem to function in their own silos more often now huh uh, i think uh unity pr- like prayer movements together it's like multi-church prayer movements multi-church missional movements were were more part of the natural ebb and flow of san diego church life in 2018 2019 but I think we're still learning how to come out of our silos. Um, so I think 2023 and 2024 will be a really important season for us 
uh, to, to intentionally say, Hey, Rock Church. Hey, Captivate Church. Hey, Neighbors Church. All Calvary Chapel, Santee. All, let's get together and pray in a, like a shared location. Mm-hmm. Um, and remind each other that we're in this together. I think that yeah. kind of stuff is needed now because um, it's happening less than it did three years which ago. It, which is surprising because usually when there's a shared trauma, which you know the globe has gone through and the church is going through, um, a new, an article just came out a few days ago saying that a third of Americans have stopped going to church post-COVID. So there's been a shared trauma, and you would think that that would actually bring churches together and foster a greater sense of unity. But you're right, there, there is kind of a siloing uh, of churches now, maybe fear. Um, I think politics, honestly, is a huge part of that, because yeah. the last few years you've seen this sort of uh, super, we're not wearing a mask type mm-hmm. churches. Um, mm-hmm. On the other side, you've seen churches who are you know, more left-leaning, and it's like mm-hmm. churches have almost become more segregated rather than joining together. And to me, it's just heartbreaking to see, because like whatever city you're looking at in America, you can identify, oh yeah, there's the church that didn't close down the pandemic, and they grew, and they have a certain ethos, and there's a church that maybe was trying to be more missional, engaged, and trying to understand, you know, what's going on as far as the pandemic and all. Yeah. And uh, and it's like you have these two versions almost of ecclesiology, um, which has led to a kind of a tribalism, I think, between churches. Would you say that's been the case? I think I think I think so. I also um, I also think that's a byproduct of kind of the survival mode we're all forced to mm-hmm. hunker down into. But like I said, like twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four, it's a it's a beautiful opportunity to like pop our heads up out of the sand as high as we can and whether it, whether it means go on trips or like like plan more mission trips again like you used to back in the 90s or whatever it is to get up out of your little american algorithm bubble you know off your phone and into the lives of another church as yeah. a church yeah i i i've been thinking about colossians a lot because we're in colossians as a church and colossians 2:8 see to it that no one takes you captive Mm. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, mm. you know, which depends on human tradition uh, and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And you know, we spent all Sunday last last weekend just digging into that idea. Like, what does it look like to be taken captive in your mind mm. by hollow philosophies? What if we're what if I'm captive right now? How do I know if I'm, if my mind is really linked into the mind of Christ or if I'm linked into the mind of, you, you fill in the blank, you know, mm-hmm. a news feed or, or you, you, you know, you, you meet with your family on Thanksgiving and your uncle just breaks the silence with that really wild claim, <laughs> which backed up with zero data in my opinion. I'm like, what do I do in that moment? Am I right? Is he right? Am I crazy? Is he? And, and so we talked about how, like, man, huh. there's gotta be a set of values. If Jesus, if Christianity is not just a philosophy. Yeah. If Christianity is the response to a person who came mm-hmm. and walked in the dirt with us, then, then that, that, that changes the game. Then it's no longer good ideas versus bad ideas. It's all ideas are subject to this person. Yeah. 
So, I, so I just, yeah, that's a big thing for us this year is like, let's respond to the person, Jesus. So um, there is so much there. And I, I think you're right. There is a, a lot of infatuation with hollow philosophies, hollow, um, just ideas and perceptions, whether it's politically, even spiritually, um, tons of conspiracy theories that are fueling this, the echo chamber of our newsfeed, mm-hmm. all of that. But what, what do you think are the responses, the antidotes, I should say, to not getting swept up in that? Um, mm. Of which I think this will be a great segue into our discussion on worship. But what does that look like for the people of God to not get caught up in this this moment that we're in? And really be true followers of, of Christ and um, salt and light, as we're called to be. Yeah, well, there's a line. It's, yeah, there's a line that we're using in this Colossians series over and over. And it's maturity never graduates from simplicity. Mm. Um, maturity never graduates from simplicity. And, you know, this this letter that Paul writes to this little church, there's tons of ideologies in Colossae, in ancient Greco-Roman culture, where, you know, there's a there's a coin that tells you to say Caesar is Lord. There's statues telling you to worship Diana. There's there's all these different and we're this little community in this little mega Roman city. Who are we to say we follow the true Lord and have the truth? I mean that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? And and Paul's like, actually it's not if we're responding to a person. Mm-hmm. So so what does this person want? What does Christ desire for us? Well, he wants his father's kingdom Mm -hmm. to be realized through his father's children. So we can come like children and know that our maturity in Christ never graduates from childlike faith. And honestly, prayer and scripture reading, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, you and I grew up Calvary Chapel where prayer and Bible was like the center of the spiritual life. Like read your Bible, pray. And how do you knock that? That's the heart of the way of Jesus. And there's obviously plenty more. There's community generosity and doing justice. But I think part of the problem that, that we're facing today in, um, kind of the ideological wars is there's a new generation of Christians rising up that is very tuned into loving your neighbor and doing justice. Hmm. Um, and there's a kind of an outgoing generation, the boomers who are very into like, prayer and church going and um god will take care of all the justice later kind of mentality um where today um we talk about loving god loving neighbor but it ends up just being about loving neighbor Hmm. and the loving god piece is almost inarticulated like what Mm. does it mean to love god yeah yeah yes we love neighbor but don't forget like love god (laughs) yeah with all your heart and soul and mind, scripture yeah. and prayer and bread and cup and gathering on Sunday and like these very ancient ways we love God and also love neighbor. But when loving God and neighbor gets condensed down to just loving neighbor, um, then we start to listen to the politics and the best ways to love our neighbor and we start dividing the church. And that's, that's kind of what we're, I think. I think the key is coming back to loving God. That's one of the things I look back on with so much fondness was just the way when we were in Portland together, um, you pastored a church 
through worship and leading us into a greater depth and devotion and love of God. And it's just one of the things I've, I always love it when you're leading worship somewhere and just uh, the way you, you've, you mm. lead people in that process and the way it just kind of breaks your heart open uh, to sensing God's presence. And I, I think you're onto something here where one of the antidotes to the divisiveness we're seeing, the polarization that we're seeing, uh, some of the struggles that churches are going through, one of the just very practical antidotes, and on a personal level too, is just worship. And for thousands mm. of years, this has been uh, the story of our faith, you know, from Genesis all through Scripture, whether it's Exodus 15, you have a people worshiping as they're crossing the Red Sea, or First Chronicles, where worship was central to the Jewish tabernacle and temple. But also what, what struck me as I was thinking about our conversation last night um, is how the people of God just worshiped in everyday things. Because I, I think we have a view of worship that, you know, it's within four walls of a church on a Sunday, but the, the people of God worshiped while making wine in Jeremiah mm. 25, harvesting crops, mm. cooking meals, digging ditches, Numbers 21. Uh, they worshipped at weddings. They worshipped as they marched into battle. Uh, Job 38 even says that um, the angels were worshipping when God was creating the world. Uh, you have, of course, Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then you have the early church that began with an eruption of worship. Um, Colossians, as you mentioned, um, Colossians 3 really is a very practical antidote to the conflict we see today. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, with gratitude in your heart, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs mm -hmm. to God. You even go to like the church fathers and mothers like Philo. Uh, he 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 tells us that the early church would sometimes have nights of worship, just all night on their knees singing and praying. Um, so it, it just seems like worship is deep in our spiritual DNA. There's a longing to worship, and worship is so much broader and vaster than how we've siloed it. <laughs> um, yeah. And worship as a defiant response to yeah. the angst we see in the world, the polarization we see in the world, and the siloing we see in the world. Um, what... I'm curious your take on things now. So you've been pastoring for five five years. Yeah. As you look at the broader American church, um, what are your thoughts on the health of American evangelical worship? Do you think we're in a season of renewal when it comes to worship or stagnation? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I find, I find, I feel in my body as you ask that question, just like a like a trepidation to even respond and just cause I, there's so much I don't see and I don't know. And so many wonderful people, you know, working in Nashville and signing artists to record labels. And, you know, I do, I do have several relationships with acquaintances with folks that are writing the songs at Bethel and elevation and Hillsong, you know, obviously, you know, my brother gets around a bit, Phil, and and he is very much involved in setting i i would say the the national temperature of worship mm. and um and so so i i hesitate to speak authoritatively on like the state of the union or whatever <laughs> um cuz i know so many of these people and they're they're all in the, their own contexts really mm. wanting to sing a song for their church but also a song for the church uh, if I could, if I could just say one thing that comes to mind now, it's I think, 
I think we rush past Good Friday toward Easter too quickly. Mm. How so? And I think I think I think I was talking to my wife about this. We heard a new song recently about about it was a song about Jesus that's going to be coming out soon and by an artist and uh it's just the story of Jesus in 3 minutes, 4 huh. minutes. Uh and if you only have 4 minutes, you got to get the resurrection in, obviously. But that's part of the problem. We only have 4 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 what what happened on Good Friday that's good? It's not just that you got to rush through it to get to the happy ending. Hmm. What 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 lament does God want the church to learn? Hmm. Um, how do we weep with those who weep? Full stop. Um, why is Good Friday good? Is it just because like Sunday's on its way, or is it because Good Friday is good? Because hmm. of the passion and suffering of Jesus entering the full spectrum of our pain. And what does that mean for all the communities in pain that are just, it's just, they're giving church one last shot before they give up on God and they're sitting in the back row on Sunday morning and they don't want to, they don't want to clap their hands. Mm. They don't, they don't want to start with a drum, a four on the floor drum. They don't want to start with a happy song. Mm. Um, do we have the vocabulary for lament mm. or, or is, is Good Friday just a pit stop? Mm. On the way to the real everybody Easter. So I think, you know, like with what happened, I mean, we're, I don't know when this podcast is going live, but just this last week, you know, all the stuff in the news about the shooting within the Asian community um, in LA. Uh, we have Asians in our church and, and then um, other, other, really catastrophic events in the news that had uh, racial overtones mixed in with them and how to talk about it. And just to sit, just to sit back mm -hmm. during worship, you're talking about, this is all, this is all within the con topic of worship. So during worship to stop and say, you know what guys, January is a hard month. <laughs> like this has been hard. Like, can we just sit here for 60 seconds before we sing another mm. major chord and just say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it feels like lament has fallen on hard times, which is certainly not the story of, of Scripture. Um, because when you, you open the Bible, it's just dripping with the stories of women and men who knew how yeah. to lament. Uh, they saw what was happening around them. They named the injustice they saw. And yeah. then they, they'd even cry out for God to explain himself. Like, you know, I think Psalm 13, where David said how he screamed it, you know, how long, O Lord, or Jeremiah overwhelmed by the oppression that he witnessed, implored God to intervene. You have Job who despaired, Jacob wrestled, Moses challenged, Abraham doubted, Mary questioned, Jesus wept. Yeah. Um, and it seems like lament isn't the antithesis of faith. Um, it's what faith looks like when it draws near to grief. Um, and oh, wow. It, and I think too, like- the I gotta, I'm, writing, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> I, it feels I'm like taking the, <laughs> taking notes while making a podcast, but it, it it feels like the more passionately we believe in the goodness of God, um, the more passionately we ought to protest when His goodness is obscured. And, and I I think you're onto something with that because it 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 seems like as as I look at the 
you know, state of the union, so to speak, in churches, um, there is such a hyper emphasis on the joy, the celebration, the rah rah, Lego gospel, everything is awesome. The Psalm seventy three <laughs> verse one, um, you know, tr- God is good, but then we don't know what to do with verse two. Come on. Where he said, yeah. as for me, my feet almost slipped. We, we don't know what to do with the lament. And it's like we need new vocabulary, new songs, perhaps, uh, new ways of worshiping through the heartache, through the grief. So I'm curious, like, you're, okay, you're naming something that I 110% agree with, but practically, what does that even look like? How, how yeah. can... How do you do it? How, how do you lead a church through lament? How, how do yeah. you respond to the injustice? How, wh- what does a Psalm 13 look like yeah. uh, at Park Hill Church? Yeah. Well, um, on the 30,000-foot level, it's what, we, what I just described, taking a minute to name okay. uh, the communities that are l- very likely grieving mm. um, and, and acknowledge them uh, and acknowledge like, Hey, Park Hill Church is a dominant white space. And so we want to, uh, even more name, uh, the, the communities who are not like the majority in the room. And we see you and we see how these events in these last few weeks can hurt, but then double hurt, um, in a culture where you feel less seen as the minority. So, so naming these things and then being still in God's presence, that's like to me, step square one. Another thing we did all last year is we had um, our first ever uh, cohort uh, called the Race and Belonging Cohort. And there's a million things mm-hmm. we could do to lament. And this is only one. We can't do them all. <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but we had a Race and Belonging Cohort, which was led by uh, a pastor of color who's in our church. And, um, and by invitation, he brought in people with different experience, ethnic experiences, ethnic identities around a table, around a shared meal every month. And, and just to say, Hey, how is it for you being in a church? Uh, that's mostly white. Or maybe did you grow up in a, like some, some of these, some of the black folks in our church grew up in black church and now they're in a mostly white church. How is that for you? Like, tell us how you feel. Like, and, and really giving space for honestly tears flow every single meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting those tears be seen. Uh, it's interesting. One, one, uh, uh, Hispanic young lady in our church came up to me a couple weeks ago and said, Evan, I had to come to you. I, I believe I got a prophetic vision during worship. And this is like a trustworthy prophetic individual who is just, yeah. And so she came up to me and, and she shared me this vision of, of eyes in the sky crying tears and the tear when the tears hit the water there was water that we couldn't cross as a church and when these eyes in the sky cried their tears and their tears were allowed to to, to touch the water and disturb the water their tears turned into stepping stones wow. and so the church was able to actually cross the unknown it when they let the tears fall mm. <laughs> i'm like oh my gosh what a perfect picture of letting lament be lament like mm. platforming the tears and I'm like, who was crying in your vision? She's like, well, honestly, it was, it was minority groups. Mm. In, in my vision, it was people who don't have, people who have uh, the least common experiences amongst the majority. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, we can't name them all. We can't do it all. We can't identity politic the heck out of everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, but we can listen to who's actually in our family. So, 
So, Lord, help the tears fall here. Maybe we can take 60 seconds on Sunday. Maybe we can make a cohort all year, but whatever it takes, we want to listen. Um, so we're going to go through Jonah after Easter because okay. Jonah, Jonah hated the others, you know? Yes. <laughs> and, and yet at the end, the fact that Jonah as a book exists is his repentance, right? you know? So what does it look like to see where we're not seeing people that God wants us to see? love that. I think you're like drilling down to like what the actual definition of worship is and this intricate synergy and connection between lament and love and passion and emotion. I mean, even think of the word worship, proskuneo in in the Greek, which just means toward and to kiss. Um, It's Mm. like the, it's the giving Mm. of your love and adoration to the other. You know, I always think of a wedding, like you have the vows, the rings. If you're overseeing the wedding, you pronounce them man and wife. And then you have those words, you know, you may kiss your bride. And it, it's interesting to me that the very first thing that a married couple does is kiss. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a physical way, I think, of saying this is a sacred moment. It's that expression of adoration, commitment, worship of the other. It's also deeply, deeply emotional. Um, and and I, yeah. I think... Authentic worship, true worship looks something like that. There's this giving the space for the other. There's understanding the needs, the longings, the ache of the other, um, showing reverence um, and care for the other. I, I think yeah. of Richard Foster, um, who's written some beautiful words on worship. Um, I came across this quote of his a few days ago. He said, today, God is calling his church back to worship. He said this, this can be seen in high church circles where there's a renewed interest in intimacy with God, but it can also be seen in low church circles where there's a renewed interest in liturgy. It can be yeah. seen everywhere between these two. It is as if God is saying, he wrote, I want the hearts of my people back. Come and on. if we long to go where God is going and to do what God is doing, we will move into deeper, more authentic worship. And Ugh. I, I think Whoa. that's, I think that's what we're all longing for is just this. Send okay, me that. Yeah, de- yeah, totally. I'll, I'll text it to you. But um, th- I think there's an increasing hunger and desire um, throughout the church today where people are saying, okay, we've done the happy clappy, you know, uh, songs, but we want something that's even more authentic and true to our shared experience and the aches and longings of our culture as well. And how worship can step into that space with unremitting healing. Uh, love, mm. Mm. Um, relationship, intimacy, uh, community. Yeah. Yeah. So good. My goodness. Yes to all that. I'm inspired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, miss, I miss our Tuesdays. I miss our Tuesday I know. coffee walks. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. This, this, actually is, this re- is what they were. This totally reminds yeah. me of, of our time together. Like, um, So – I'd like to like to get your thoughts on something before we we start to wrap it wrap it up. It's just, and you, you've touched on this a few times, um, how worship kind of intentionally moves our heart from this posture of despair to hope. So there is a lot that we can despair uh, right now as we look at culture or the state of the church or deconstruction yeah. or uh, some of the fish, cultural fissures that we see. Uh, right now, but there's there's something beautiful and healing about worship that that proskuneo aspect where 
um, it's like this intentionality saying, I'm not going to let fear win. I'm not going to let division mm-hmm. win. I'm not going to let hatred win, tribalism win. And it's like this, this moving of our soul towards, towards hope. Um, yeah. You know, NBC News, they, they just put out an article yesterday, I think. They said 71% of Americans think the country is going downhill. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, that doesn't bode well if the vast majority of people are like, man, we're doomed. Um, yeah, that'll self-fulfill. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and yet what you see in Scripture is, okay, God's people, they probably saw the world that way, certainly when they were slaves in Egypt or wandering in desert for 40 years or fighting wars or invaded by Assyria or Babylon or living for yeah, 400 they did, years. They did a bit of grumbling. Yeah, totally. Um, but there was like this, within all that, there was this, you know, like what Karl Barr said, this defiant nevertheless, this choosing mm. to say, we will praise God anyway. We will worship anyway. Uh, worship as this ruthless defiance of of the pain and anguish that they saw, uh, both within and without. And that was even reflected in how they saw the days. Like in Jewish culture, days always begin in the evening, then get right. progressively lighter as the day goes on, which is the opposite of how we see it. It's like starts bright and then it gets progressively darker. Um, yeah. But the Jewish people were like, no, darkness doesn't have the last word. Like we do believe God will overcome. There is pain, there's grief, there's lament, but we also believe in a God of hope. So what does that look like again practically? Because you know these are, you know, concept concepts we're unpacking ideas. But what does this actually look like practically for a community, for a pastor leading a church, or for us individually, where maybe there is that sense of despair, or we don't even feel like worshiping? How can we step into that defiant, nevertheless? Yeah, I mean, one I would answer that two ways, and one of them is. I know you asked for practical, but starting with the why, I think starting with why, you know, Simon Sinek's whole thing is that's how you create buy-in. That's how you create um, movements is when you start, you don't start with like, here's what we're going to do, but like, Mm. here's why it's needed. And so teaching our church, this, this acronym is starting to prove helpful. And um, it's this idea of worship as adapting. So ADAPT, it's an acronym that kind of sums up, the why, at least from my perspective, why we're do why are we here in church? We ask that a lot. Why are we even here on Sunday instead of at brunch with mimosas and friends on a Sunday like everyone else? Um, to worship is to adapt, and if you look up adapt in the dictionary, uh, it has two senses. It's there's an active and a passive sense. So uh, if if you're adapting something, you're making something suitable for a new purpose. Uh, you're and and that's what God is doing to us when we worship. When we worship, we're choosing to be adapted by God to his purposes, uh, which, which is the hope piece, right? It's like, okay, like my circumstance is awful. And yet I'm offered perspective. Even if nothing changes around me, I will get my bearings when I worship. Mm. Um, so, so, but then there's a pass there's, then there's a, then there's a part we play. Like another definition of adapt is to, is to, become adjusted to new conditions to actually change to move we move so there's there's god and us both moving in on one another in worship and then the acronym a in adapt is adore and d is declare so to worship god is to adore him first and foremost talk about loving god mm-hmm. and then declare who he is not just like god you're amazing but hey now i'm going to turn to my neighbor and say look at what god has done in my life love that 
So if there's no testimony, then I think there's an incomplete circle of worship. That's why Ephesians and Colossians both have, yes, sing to God, but actually the direction in those chapters is singing to each other. Huh. So we're proscuneoing God and each other. Um, so adoring God and declaring who God is, which then leads to the, the third letter in adapt, which is a action. So like Abraham all the way through living out God's just righteous character um, into the world by serving God and others the way the scriptures teach. So, you know, Adore, declare, and then right living, action, ADA. And then PT is participation in the life of the Trinity. So that's like the mystical union piece that I love where you get alone. Here's where it gets really practical. You get alone. We have bread journals, B-R-E-A-D. It's another acronym. Sorry, I'm just loading this you with information awesome. right now. This is awesome. So good. <laughs> but, but bread is, is, is Lectio Divina, but in English, breathe, read, encounter, apply, devote. We, we created journals for our church okay. to participate in the life of the Trinity in their homes, all together as a church, same passage every day for all, all of us. And this is for union with God. It's not just for like a piece of information for our day. Um, and that's where this whole worship thing is headed. It's, it's ultimately for this communion and union, you know, with the divine dance of the Trinity. Uh, he invites us into like relationship where we're being adapted for God's purpose and we're agreeing to adapt ourselves and bear the fruit of the spirit as we love God, declare who he is, choose to live out his character. Not just what we think is right, <laughs> but what, what God does is what we want to do. Um, mm. and, and then, and then all for the purpose of participating in the life of the Trinity. Like we mystically unite. Through the Spirit. That's amazing. With God. Yeah. When we worship. This is not just like, I don't know, not just a tradition, even though it is a great tradition. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it's a tradition that flows from a person who invites us into participation in his own life. Yeah. So you're saying like, like just for real. The, the act of worship, whether it's done a person alone in their room with their journal, on their knees, or... As they're with a group of people singing their hearts out, there there is something very real and tangible that happens in the spiritual realm and the physical realm too. Uh, yes, when we decide to do this. Yes, and first uh, first Chronicles twenty, I think it's or it's is oh, it two Chronicles twenty? Yeah. I mean, you see this the metaphysical yeah. and the physical. You see the unseen and the seen come together. Right when there when there's a literal battle to be fought, we're like, hey. Why are we praying? Let's go out and do justice. No, 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 no. Like that's, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's worship our way onto the battlefield, which mm. makes zero sense from a naturalistic perspective. Zero. Mm. And yet it had massive natural implications on the world around them. Um, so there is this mystical, there's this metaphysical and physical enmeshment all around us. We are immaterial and material beings. The world around us is material and immaterial world. And and we, we oh. inhabit both spaces well when we worship. Mm, my gosh, now I'm writing things down. Worship our yeah. ways, our way onto the battlefield. Um, yeah. You mentioned that story in, in Chronicles where that's literally what they did. They, they gone into worship or they go into battle, but it's the worship leaders who are leading the way. And then, you, of course, you <laughs> yeah. have that, that New Testament story that kind of parallels it, where 
Acts 16, you know, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're going to be executed the next day. They're in stocks. Their ankles are chained. Their their hands are chained. And Silas is like, hey, let's just worship. You know, our hands are already lifted anyway. So um, they just yeah, start and, worshiping. And then the earthquake comes. Yes, the chains and, are broken. Prison door flies open. Yes. And even as we're talking about these things, mm. even as we're saying this, I feel the empiricist materialist in me rising up. Yeah, I, I feel I feel the enlightenment scientific mind yeah. <laughs> rising up and saying, yeah, but but those are those are ancient ways of telling a story about a tradition. Actually, I want to say that's hogwash. That's mm-hmm. not true at all. They are ancient ways. They are ancient stories, but they're speaking to a worldview mm-hmm. that Jesus had yeah. where metaphysical and physical things are inextricably linked yeah. And we inhabit reality well when we are participating in the life of the Trinity by worshiping the way Jesus tells us to. Like oh, I, yeah. like I can't, I, I, I can't preach that enough today because people hear about you know angels and demons in the New Testament. And they're like, well, maybe Jesus is just talking about mental health issues. All right. And uh, yes, and like, G- there was no binary on that. <laughs> like. The, the metaphysical and the physical both like we are mental spiritual emotional invisible visible beings and we inhabit our physical bodies rightly when we worship the invisible god who is spirit and so uh yeah i just to me that's that's kind of the why i like to give our church is we're not just gathering in a building on sunday trying to keep a, a tradition alive you know mm-hmm. But this tradition comes from a person who's present to us just behind the veil. There's a slain lamb on the center of the universe where all the elders and angels and saints are crying out holy. And we join that <sighs> when we pull out the bread and cup. We join that. Yeah. Like, like actually, literally, well, probably in a more real way than like the table I'm knocking on right, right. now. So, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so ridiculously good. Um, you're right. We're like we're joining a larger story. Um we're we're also, I think, seeing the beauty of Jesus in one another as we're saying to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, I think of that um, book by Lewis, C.S. Lewis, where I think it's in Four Loves, and he's describing two of his closest friends, Ronald and Charles, and um, Charles then suddenly died. And, and Lewis, he's writing about this. He said that what he discovered was that he not only lost Charles, but he also lost a part of Ronald because there were things in Ronald that only came out when Charles was around. So there's like aspects Mm. of his humor, personality uh, that come to life when Charles was there. But when Charles died, those things died as well. But what's interesting, the the, the fascinating twist is, you know, he's writing in the context of friendship, but then he he makes this twist and he talks about worship. There's something that happens when we worship in community where each person uh, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs is reflecting something of the beauty of God, which the implications of that are huge because it means <laughs> we we actually see more of God when we worship together. It's why yes. heaven will be so incredible because not only are we going to see him individually, but in some mystical way through the lens of community. Uh, there's like yes. a, a depth, an intensity, a color that we, that we never imagined where every knee bows, every tongue confess, every tribe, every nation. Uh, so if that's the trajectory of the human story, if worship is where it all ends, in some very real 
way, when we worship now, we're literally dragging into the present the reality of the future, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, to me, that's the key to understanding the last book of the Bible, Revelation. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and then he saw a voice. How do you see a voice? Huh. There's something, there's something going on in Revelation where Jesus Christ, the Lamb who's slain just behind the veil of the physical, just behind the veil, the Christ, Christ who is present through his Spirit, to, he, he, he shows John a vision of reality as it is and and we discover by worshiping the lord being in the spirit on the lord's day the same thing that the psalmist discovered in 70 in psalm 73 where he was deconstructing and doubting but he entered the sanctuary and saw rightly the same thing john saw was reality as it is where the center the true center of the universe is not me and my doubts it's not washington dc and it's political windbags the true center of the universe is a slain lamb on a throne who's in charge. And when you worship, you realize this is what an apocalypse is. You see an unveiling. Oh, mm. things are more than they seem. Yeah. Things are, I see you. I, I didn't see you before, but you're there in the second row at church and God's working in your life. And yeah. the same Christ that's, was on the cross and resurrected is also on the throne and he's present to us through the bread and the cup and he's working in your life and he's working in mine. Things are more than they seem. And uh, that's, yeah. To, <laughs> so that's, I'm still, I'm just rambling now, but. No, you're actually totally blowing my mind because <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. He saw a voice. So worship. He sees a voice. Is an act of faith-filled seeing, right? It's war, it's resistance, it's the defiant nevertheless, but it's also this intentional, I'm choosing to see what ultimate reality looks like. Um, And we're speaking that over culture, we're singing that over our churches, we're singing that over ourselves, because when we worship, we're telling our past, you don't define me anymore. When we worship, we're reminding ourselves that fear and anger and addiction doesn't have to have the final word. So when we worship, we're, we're, we're singing truth over and into our life and the lives of those we're, we're worshiping with. It's like no weapon formed against us will prosper. Um, it it is that reality. Um, it's like every time we worship, we're telling a different story. That there is power in the name of Jesus, that in his name chains break, um, lies are undone, the enemy is overcome. In yeah. that moment of worship, it's like heaven in some very real tangible way. It, it's not just a mystical thing. It in some real tangible way, heaven comes crashing yes. into earth and just spills out into our reality. Um and that's why church matters. <laughs> it's why what you're doing as a pastor matters. It's why Park Hill matters. The, the, the power of that that moment uh, of singing together matters, but also individually um, as we move through the day as the children of Israel did, just singing at the most random times, um, worshiping in just everyday things. There is the power of heaven that is unleashed in 
in our situation, however painful or difficult or traumatizing that that may be. So I, I guess, yeah, what would, as we wrap this up, what what are your thoughts? What would you, your encouragement be to someone who's like, Evan, I'm listening to this right now and I'm in a season of lament. I'm hurting, I'm struggling. Maybe they have been burned by a church. Maybe they are wrestling with deconstruction. Maybe they are burnt down on you know, the amount of tribalism or politics they've seen in, in the church over the last few years. Um, maybe they are going through a season of anxiety or depression. How would you like right now, this moment, say, okay, here's a tangible way that you can experience the inbreaking kingdom of God in your situation through worship? What could they do? Yeah, man. Just, okay. So in keeping with the revelation theme, John is exiled by the state for political treason, <laughs> saying Jesus is Lord in a culture mm. that didn't like that idea. And he's in the spirit in prison, mm. in a horrible situation. He and, and he and he chooses to engage with the triune God from where he is. Mm. And it says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and he turns to see the voice. <sighs> and then he receives, he receives what God wants him to receive, which you can't control. Mm. Um, we can't control our spiritual maturity. We, we can just show up for it. And so I, I would, I would encourage someone that's hearing this feeling maybe skeptical, uh, or, 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 or just feeling down, feeling depressed. Yes, like there is language. There is resources for doubting. I, I, we've mentioned it many times in this podcast already. Psalm 73 is a liturgy of doubt. Mm -hmm. The scriptures give you, they hand you the tools and say, here, do the doubt well. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Do it well. Here you go. Mm -hmm. and, and you're standing in this tradition of people who, who experience pain well. Mm. Suffering is, relieving suffering is a good thing in scripture, but also suffering itself is an optimal space for encountering God in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want to be masochistic and we also don't want to be in denial. The scriptures are this beautiful balance that we have lost. And if you're listening to this and you're part of a community that doesn't listen to your grief, or maybe, yeah, maybe you just feel unseen in that, just... Just, just know that that's not indicative of the, the beautiful, great tradition that we're a part of. And I'm sorry that you've experienced maybe a, a short-circuiting of your grief. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, ending on Jesus is never a bad place to end, you know? Like yeah. Jesus in Gethsemane. I don't know, Dom, what you think about what happened in Jesus' psyche in the garden. If you would classify his experience in the garden as doubt. I don't know if you would, maybe a healthy, maybe a sinless, healthy version of doubtful exploration of alternatives. <laughs> mm. But, but you know, like I picture Jesus in Gethsemane going, Father, did I miss something? <laughs> mm. Did I miss? I've read the suffering servant passages. I've memorized the Old Testament. I see my identity in there and my obedience to the Father will never fade. Nevertheless, not my will not be. But did I miss anything? Mm. is there any other way? And if that's not prayer, mm. 
what else is? That's from Jesus's mouth. Join that prayer. Yeah. And, hmm. um, and, and not because Sunday's coming, not because Easter's coming, hmm. you know, but because Jesus is in Gethsemane. Hmm. Full stop. Yeah. And that's worship. That is. And so I don't know. That was, that was a bit disjointed, but uh, that's no, my encouragement, uh, I think. It's so beautiful. Um, it looks like just being real and honest with God where you are right now. Um, and again, it's going back to what you said about it's seeing ultimate reality. I think worship creates space in our soul so that we can see things as they really are. Um, there you go. Second, wow. Second Corinthians 3 says, we all who with unfailed, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. It's like something happens when we we're contemplating. That's what worship is really. It's just contemplating God's glory. There's a transformation that happens, um, a metamorphosis that happens, even if you don't feel it or sense it. Yeah. And I think I'd add that too. Like those who are in the season of doubt, despair, depression, discouragement, there's still a change that is happening. There's still the inbreaking presence of God and His kingdom that is happening in the midst of you just honestly saying, my yeah. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Right? Oh, the only thing I would add to what I said, and and it's you, what you're saying is so good, it reminded me of the one last thing that I wanted to say. And I used this analogy with my church uh, two Sundays ago, um, the purpose of Colossians. Paul writes it to this church that doesn't really, it's, they're having a hard time knowing which way is north. Um, and if that's you, what do you do in an airport? Busy airport, you have 30 minutes to make it from gate E16 to B52. Like what? You have 30 minutes and you've never been to this airport before. How do you feel? You're freaked out. You're nervous. You're stressed. But hopefully, you at least know you can go to the directory and on the directory, there's one little, there's one little sign you're looking for. <laughs> one little sign that has a little red arrow and three magic words. You are here. Yes. Yes. That you, you get this when you, that's what you get when you worship. Right. right. When you, that's, that's, that sometimes that's all you get. <laughs> But you That's get right. that, and yeah, and suddenly, and, and the airport is still chaotic. Yeah, it's still eighteen terminals and places you've never been, mm. and scary people, you know, and scary <laughs> airplanes and TSA agents. But at least you have all you have your bearings. Oh. You have you have your identity. You are in Christ. You are rooted in the Father's love through the Spirit because you're in Christ, hmm. and. And you know where north is, and so you're going to go that way. <laughs> That's all you know. And and this is this is what we get. We get our identity uh, yes. from Christ through worship. Oh, so I love it, man. That's <laughs> so beautiful. In a time where so many of us feel lost, or people are confused, we're like unsure of identity, unsure of direction, unsure what on earth is going on globally and in our culture, just to have that moment, that reorientation of the heart to say, you are here. Yeah. It's it's breathing, right? Let everything that has breath, um, praise the Lord. Um, would you, we, we don't usually do this on the podcast, but I, I just think there could be some listening to this right now who are, they just need to hear those words, you are, you are here, um, mm. who need 
God's kingdom to break into whatever they're going through. So I'm just wondering, would you just close us with just praying for those who maybe are in that space? Absolutely. And as they just maybe turn off this podcast afterwards and choose to worship, that they just sense the presence of God in whatever they're going through. I'd love to. Yeah, thanks, Dom. Oh, Holy Spirit, come reveal the Father's heart to everyone listening, to 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 the person listening to this now. Reveal the Father's love, just like Romans 5 says you do. Pour out the Father's love right now. And as you do, Lord God, I pray that you would remind remind us together as we're listening to this prayer that those who confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart God has raised from the dead, they're saved. They're, they're, they're being healed. They're being moved from glory to greater glory. They're delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. They're qualified. They're qualified to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. And these are the truest things about us. We are here. We're here. And our circumstances can stay catastrophic, chaotic. We can be in the middle of the storms of life. And, And yet, Jesus, we're in you. We, we have, we have our bearing. We don't have an elite. We're not, we're not, (laughs) we're not free of pain. Um, but we're free from, we're free of hopelessness. We have hope. We're here in you. So whatever it takes, all the different personalities listening to this, the different vocations, the different environments people are in as they listen to this, I, I pray that you would just strike them with the beautiful realization afresh, maybe for the 2000th time. Mm-hmm. or maybe for the first time that uh, they are they're here they're in you and therefore uh, there is hope in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen broken and yearning longing for more breathe on us breathe God in your presence is fullness of joy come to us come to us Holy Spirit bring down your presence come and heal us show
Spirit of God, oh Lord, move mountains. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, right now, let the chains fall.
right now 